politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. You're listening to KPFK in Los Angeles, and this is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm your host, Michael Benner. Very nice to be with you. Uh, As some of you may know, I was on this radio station hosting a segment of Inner Vision for oh, almost 14 years, I think. And then 12 years ago, left town and have since returned to Los Angeles. And we're back with a program that's very similar. The Ageless Wisdom Show, like Inner Vision, is a program about philosophy. It's about consciousness. It's metaphysics and mysticism and and really a show about a non-religious approach to spirituality. In that sense, many people say they really like it when I talk about politics. And sometimes it may appear that I'm speaking about current events or news or government and politics and such, but I'm not because politics is really an appearance of sociology and the human condition. And in that sense, although we do have a guest for today, I feel a strong need on this third program of our new term and the first program of a brand new year, 2021, to do a commentary up front about what, again, may appear to be politics, but really is not. And then a little later in the show, I'll introduce our guest, Phil Goldberg. But on this Tuesday, we find ourselves just two weeks away from the inauguration of a new president, and yet rarely, if ever, in the history of the United States as a republic, as a democracy, have we ever been so troubled by events in Washington, D.C. Due to COVID concerns, I'm required to pre-record this program, so I can't speak on what's happened in the last day and a half or so. But uh, we do know today is the day that the state of Georgia determines the control of the U.S. Senate. And as important as that is, Even more importantly, today is a day that, to borrow from Franklin Roosevelt, truly will live in infamy. Today, a significant number of U.S. senators from the Republican Party have joined Donald Trump's effort to overthrow the democracy with a seditious coup. This is sedition. It is treason. It may be symbolic in a sense that, like playing with guns, if you know there's no ammunition, little harm can happen. Little real damage can be done. But I would challenge that concept and say damage is being done. For even though 
attempts to overthrow the democracy through a coup will fail, there remain nearly half of our neighbors who, in many cases unknowingly, and in other cases deliberately and purposefully, are supporting fascism instead of democracy. Now this is a word that's sometimes thrown around, calling a reactionary, whether in office or supportive of those in office, a fascist or a Nazi. That can just be a slanderous term. But I've often said, as conservatism moves further and further to the right, at what point does it become fascism? And we're at that point where the Republican Party is now divided into fascist and old-school conservative elements. And the damage to the party, the damage to the nation, the damage to our image overseas as the world's leading constitutional democracy is difficult to estimate and also difficult to overstate. As we learned Sunday upon the release of the recording of the president speaking with the Republican Secretary of State of Georgia, Donald Trump is deluded. He is sociopathic, psychopathic, and believes his own propaganda. He's not just playing this out, this idea that he actually won the election in November as some kind of political gambit. He truly believes that he won. He is so deluded and so out of touch with reality that we have to consider that he's not lying, he's hallucinating. But even more frightening is the fact that 75 million people share this hallucination, this foyer adieu, this madness, that includes people who actually believe in conspiracy theories that are so far-fetched as to boggle the imagination. The people who do not support Donald Trump are zombies, are pedophiles who not only murder babies but drink the blood and consume the bodies of infants and other children. They believe in lizard people. They are in some cases religious fanatics, preppers who devote their lives to stockpiling weapons and and food for the end of the world and thus go about promoting events that are likely to bring about the end of the world. And meanwhile, we suffer this pandemic, in excess of 350,000 fatalities in the United States alone, barely 6% of the total number of people in the world, and yet 20% of its fatalities due to the inaction and delusions of Donald Trump, the Republican Party, and this base of conspiracy freaks and nuts who would rather live in a fascist dictatorship than a free democracy. When the corporate media, NBC, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, 
the New York Times, the Washington Post, and on and on and on, talk about this as sedition, treason, fascism. You might think you're listening to KPFK. I certainly never thought I would see the day that these giant corporate-owned media outlets would refer to reactionaries in the U.S. Senate as fascists and then double down and say, seriously, this is an attempt to destroy democracy. Many people on this radio station, including myself, for years and years have said as much. We were concerned about George Bush and and his father and Ronald Reagan and the Tea Party movement and efforts to stack the courts and continue to push America further and further to the right. I have asked on this radio station on countless occasions, how far right does a conservative have to go before he or she becomes a devoted fascist or a Nazi? Most people treated that question as if it were rhetorical, and I never really got answers, but now we have an answer. We're here. And so before I bring on my guest for today and we move on to a topic, spiritual practice for crazy times, I must ask a question that again goes beyond the rhetorical. What connects the fascist movement in the United States of America to the pandemic and global warming and even the suppression of civil rights, the racism, the sexism, the misogyny, the xenophobia, as well as the degradation of the economy? While the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, that's been said for years. In fact, it's never been more true. Fifty-one new billionaires have been made since the pandemic started less than one year ago. Fifty-one new billionaires. Many of them as a result of a bailout for bankers and, and large corporations that the working class never received. Say for a pittance of an amount that was called stimulus that we had to spend to try to put food on the table and avoid eviction. And what is that link? What is that common thread that runs through fascism, the pandemic, and environmental collapse? It is low awareness. It is unconsciousness. Commonly, it's referred to as stupidity. People say, well, we need to educate the right. We need to teach them to read and encourage them to read. For clearly, we see the Trump base united primarily by their love of weapons and their fear of books. They don't read. They're not well-educated. They're uninformed and misinformed. And is that a broad brush? Yeah, doesn't include everybody, but it's a significant enough number of people difficult to even carry on a conversation when they're fed such nonsense by Fox News and Breitbart and OAN and Newsmax. And so what do we do? How do we educate the right? What should be the nature of our appeal? 
Well, surely we need to encourage people to read, to become well-educated, to expose themselves to diverse literature, not only left-wing progressive literature, books, and texts, but diverse, even antagonistic literature and news as well, to encourage them to think for themselves. But clearly this is not a bloody revolution. Russia attacks the United States not with bullets and bombs and nukes, but cyber attacks. It's an information age, a computer age. It's information that we must use to appeal to those who continue to embrace fear and support fascism in this country. And yet, we have to go beyond education for many who will not read, cannot read, and are not about to begin reading now. And so beyond education, we must look at consciousness, awareness. And that's where it comes back to the thread that this program, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, is all about. Mystery schools since the beginning of time have been less about information and knowledge than understanding and awareness. And in this sense, fear is the enemy, for it creates more ignorance, a vicious cycle of fear bred by ignorance, creating more ignorance and more fear and less awareness and more anxiety and more either-or thinking and more guns and more violence and more fascism. Perhaps the most subversive thing you can do when you encounter a Trump supporter is help them to feel safe. Find something about them that you can acknowledge. Find some area, even if it seems to be a stretch, where you can say, I understand how you feel about that. And then hasten to add, however, the facts are, the truth is, the science says, and here's what we need to do. Yeah, we need to educate the right. But beyond that, expand their awareness. Share your elevated perspective on a world that works for everyone. We must smash nationalism, white supremacy, and even the most fundamental fear that there is someone who is not us in the world, who is different in significant ways and out to get us. And it's not true. There is no other. There's just us. Isn't that ironic? Justice is based on knowing there's just us, no one else. Put your guns down and pick up a book and teach people to relax, to breathe, to meditate, to walk in nature, to eat wholesome food, to play with the children and, and pet the dog and the cat. This is my appeal to you to notice what you notice and as you become aware of the ethics and the morality, 
the decency and civility that we've lost and yet remains in the hearts of all people when they're not afraid and know that more than education, more than reading, more than knowledge, there is understanding and awareness that embraces the values that we all hold dear, to be good, to be kind, to be compassionate and empathetic. And that's the test. Such thinking and feeling will increase greatly the likelihood that democracy survives, that we can defeat this pandemic, that we can begin to allow Mother Nature to heal and promote that process and save the future of humanity on this planet. For the planet will survive with or without us. If we eliminate ourselves, the Earth will continue to spin on its axis and rotate around the sun and Evolution will continue. We're not saving the earth. We're working to save humanity. For our children and their children, those as yet unborn. And the vision of freedom, democracy, and justice for all. The problem again is fear. It's not a political policy, although we can see attempts to weaponize fear and the extent to which they've been largely successful. But we need to understand that what frightens us mostly is fear itself, ignorance, confusion, and the lack of understanding. So those are my comments on this day. When the future of the Senate is at stake, the future of democracy is at stake, the future of humanity is at stake. The Senate election in Georgia, the flirtation with fascism and a pandemic that takes us past 350,000 fatalities and continues to get worse and worse. We've not seen the end of this. It's going to continue. And finally, let me put in a plug for KPFK in Pacifica. There are a lot of people, charities and politicians and others, asking you for money. This radio group, Pacifica, in the 1940s, right after World War II, invented the idea of listener-supported radio, a broadcast network from coast to coast, programmed by enlightened women and men free from corporate influence. In the nearly 30 years that I've been associated with Pacifica, it's always been on its last legs. It's always needed money. It's always appealed to you for support. And that need has never been greater than now. Support this radio station with whatever you can, whenever you can. Simply go to kpfk.org forward slash donate to make your contribution. Be a sustainer. Make it a regular contribution. $10 a month, $25 a month. Do what you can to support free speech radio for Los Angeles, for America, 
and for the world. We'll be right back with our guest, Phil Goldberg. This is KPFK. Hi, this is Michael Benner, and I want to thank you for recognizing KPFK as one of the few channels for progressive news in Southern California. There's obviously no shortage of hate radio out there. They're trying to frighten you, and they have plenty of followers. Over 75 million people voted for Donald Trump, so we have to stand strong. Be resolute in our beliefs and support each other. If you're not a member of KPFK, now is the time to renew or become one. Join the resistance. We're the voice, but you are the power behind us. Go to kpfk.org and become a KPFK supporter with your donation. Do it now. We're 90.7 KPFK and kpfk.org. Resistance Radio. Powered by the people. And this is KPFK FM. And I'm happy to have as my guest, the author of a number of books, a fellow I met. <laughs> I'm almost hesitant to admit it, Phil. Uh, I, it must have been the earlier mid-80s. I remember being on your show when the... Uh, my book, The Intuitive Edge, was published, and that was 84-ish. Okay, so... so we're old. 19, <laughs> 1984 was the first time I met you, and I was really impressed with uh, The Intuitive Edge. And I remember we had a great discussion on the radio, Halo Us in those days, ABC, and uh, have followed you all the way through your book about Yogananda and American Data. Now, a new book that uh, we're going to talk about today, and that's uh, Spiritual Practices for Crazy Times. Have I got the title right? Uh, it's, it's actually Spiritual Practice Singular, but Practices makes more sense because <laughs> there's a lot of practices in the book. More than one. Oh, yes. And uh, there's no debating that these are crazy times. Had the pandemic hit when you began to write this book? No, the book came out August 2020. And um, everybody ever since has been congratulating me on my incredibly good timing. But it was certainly not planned. I wrote it in uh, last year in 2000. Well, Last year, as we're recording this, I wrote it in 2019. We'd uh, done most of the editing and proofreading and pre-production when the pandemic hit. And uh, I had a short window where I could add a paragraph to the preface. And that's it. We didn't change anything else um, because times were crazy when I conceived and wrote the book. And they just got crazier, but it occurred to me that what's in the book is perennial, and it, it applies to crazy times whenever they might arise, collectively or in an individual's life, and the methods and principles and guidelines and everything will stand. The only thing I wish I had put in, in the uh, book because of the pandemic, is that a lot of the practices I include 
um, would also help protect people from illness like uh, infection because they strengthen the immune system. But that that could be understood. Uh, otherwise, we didn't change a thing, and just turns out that uh, the book is better timed than we even realized it would be. Well, what's interesting to me about your approach is that spiritual practice or spiritual practices, as I mislabeled it, we think of as having to do with developing our values, our ethics, our morality, our relationship with nature and each other with life, uh, an attempt to find meaning and purpose. It's a pretty tall order. And yet what I'm getting from your book is that especially now another benefit of a spiritual practice is sanity. <laughs> yes, and healing and um, self-protection, but also uh, other things as well. Spiritual practice is healing. It's, uh, you know, we've learned a lot about methods like meditation and mindfulness and yoga and prayer. And all these methods have been um, studied now by psychologists and neurophysiologists, and we know they're healing. We know they have uh, measurable health benefits. We know they have mental health benefits. And on a spiritual level, you know, deep spiritual practices um, bring you in touch with what I call in the book the sanctuary of peace that's within all of us. We are, you know, we have a silent core that um, we normally don't access. And one of the purposes of deep spiritual practices is to put us in touch with that. And that, that's not only healing, but it's a way of cultivating a certain level of inner stability, and as you put it, sanity, groundedness, even in the midst of uh, chaos and craziness. And so to me, spiritual practice is, is, is not a luxury. It's not um, uh, something you know, to do when the kids grow up and you retire. It's an everyday uh, practical aspect of life that uh, the, the happiest and most content people I know avail themselves of, you know, on a regular basis, like regular maintenance. It's to me as necessary as, you know, showering and brushing my teeth and all the other things we do on a routine basis. Well, you use the word refuge, in fact, and that reminds me of the saying in Buddhism to take refuge in the Sangha, in the Dharma, in the uh, in the Buddha nature, yes, um, as a way of creating and and underscoring your relationship with your spiritual practice. That that is a sanctuary. That is a a refuge. Yes, it's a place of refuge, and it's within us. We have it always with us. And the whole purpose of uh, spiritual practice for crazy times is to emphasize that 
if you do regular spiritual practices, the ones that are deep and bring you in touch with that inner place of refuge, it becomes part of your life and so becomes easier and easier to access in the midst of it all. There's a line in the Bhagavad Gita that I emphasize in the book that has always been of profound importance to me, you know, ever since the first time I read it when I was a young guy, you know, seeking for truth and wisdom. And it, it promises the yogi equanimity in gain and loss, victory and defeat, pleasure and pain. And my life can knock us about, you know, uh, it can be a roller coaster, it can be crazy making. And having equanimity is something that seemed very appealing to me at the time. And what I've learned over the years is if you engage your regular practices that put you in touch with the peace that's within you, you're more likely, there's no guarantee, of course, but you're more likely to maintain that inner peace when things are disruptive or chaotic or challenging. And if you lose it, and I, you know, I'll be the first to say that after all these years of meditating and other practices, I still lose it. I get, I just ask my wife, but I recover it more quickly. It's become part of me. It's become accessible. And, and that's what I, you know, the methods in the book are designed to do, to give you a regular spiritual practice that you can do that fits your life and yours outlook and your circumstances and personality and an inventory of other practices that you can draw on as needed. But it's all about coming back into that place of inner quiet and peace. It's it's within us all. Well, if inner peace is perpetually available within us, then you're suggesting that what torments us that which is not peaceful, but frenetic and chaotic and problematic, is not being done to us by the external world. It's our particular dilemma. It's our worldview. It's our attitude and beliefs. Well, it's part of it. I mean, you know, it's the human condition. And, you know, we, to the degree we allow the outer world to create the turbulence within us, to knock us off balance, uh, we participate in it. But I don't want to minimize uh, just, you know, uh, hide behind some spiritual principle and minimize the very real effects of the outer world. We are all buffeted by things going on outside us. And this last year, 2020, you know, if that we've all learned how much we are affected, not only by uh, political and social circumstances, but by microbes and and by one another and the things we do and, and say and, and how we affect one another. So the environment matters, but then there's how do we react to it? How do we respond when, you know, stuff hits the fan and there's a crisis, whether it's in our personal life or in the collective, that is a major piece of the equation. And that's why I think spiritual practices, they don't guarantee 
that you'll react effectively or, you know, in a way that protects you and your loved ones. But it definitely improves the odds of behaving in a wiser, more compassionate, and more empathetic and effective way. I mean, one of the things I want to bring, I bring out in the book is that spiritual practice, it's a twofold thing. Spiritual practice is a means of self-protection, self-preservation, a place of refuge, a place of reconnecting and resetting, you know, in the midst of life and maintaining a certain balance. But it's also, you know, spirituality, mysticism, all these terms that to me have come to mean very practical and um, sensible things. They have this otherworldly connotation to people. It's one of the reasons I wrote the book, actually. I knew a lot of people who were politically active, working for social justice, they care about the conditions of the world. And they hear me talk about spirituality and think I'm I'm advocating escapism. But no, to me, spiritual practice can be used in the service of effective action in the world and of working toward making the world a better place. And become and being more aware of what's going on. Uh, I see a lot of foolishness out there, uh, but I think a, a, a deep spiritual practice that calms the mind and centers the person's helps to cultivate a certain discernment and intelligence. It doesn't make us indifferent to the world. It could make us even more compassionate and more empathic. So I look at uh, spiritual activists throughout history, whether it's Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King or Jesus or Buddha, these were spiritual activists. They were deeply spiritual human beings who also cared about the condition of other people and the condition of the world and were brave and courageous and dynamic. And I don't, and I see those two as uh, compatible steps of life, going within and, you know, as a place of refuge, of learning, of opening up, and then being able to act effectively in the world, whether you're just concerned about your uh, immediate circumstances and your family and your your work, or you, you, you want to help participate and serve the larger, the greater good in some way. So I, I, I really want to make that point to, uh, especially to KPFK listeners, most of whom I know are very uh, uh, concerned about social conditions, and that this is there's not an incompatibility there. In fact, I, I, I know a lot of social activists who would benefit from having a good spiritual practice in their life to protect them from being overwhelmed by the responsibilities they've taken on. We both know Andrew Harvey. Yes, I interviewed him just a few days ago for my podcast. Well, I was surprised to see that uh, you knew him and he had endorsed your book. He was kind enough to give me a testimonial for my book. And I thought, gosh, I didn't know Phil knew Andrew. But a conversation I had with him once on this very topic, we were talking about mindfulness uh, acceptance and the practice known as Vipassana. 
And basically the, the question I put to him was, in the context of what acceptance means spiritually, isn't it easy for us to become indifferent and just meditate away our lives uh, in bliss and ecstasy, ideally, while the world burns around us? And he very eloquently explained to me, you need at least one other practice, which is hotter. He described it as a more fiery practice. And his approach to what he calls sacred activism, I think, has that balance. It's not an either-or, of course. It's a blend of accepting, acknowledging reality in a mindful way as a beginning to improving or being of service and helping each other and and uh, working for peace and justice in the world. Absolutely, and and you know, and you know, I've interviewed Andrew a number of times, and he's one of the people I admire for uh, his uh, concern about the world and his encouraging people on who are deeply spiritual to take responsibility and as citizens and members of a, of a larger community to engage the world. There's in every spiritual tradition that I'm aware of, you can find an element of escapism or otherworldliness, whether it's in, you know among monastics or some interpretation of certain principles, like in the yogic and the Buddhist tradition, non-attachment is something to cultivate and work on. And many people have interpreted non-attachment to mean being indifferent to the world. But that's not what it means. It, it doesn't mean that. It means to preserve some element of distance within yourself. But it doesn't mean to not care. Every spiritual tradition encourages people to serve the greater good, to, 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 to do right by the needy, to do acts of charity, to engage in selfless service. Hindus call it seva. It, it, Buddhists have a, whole tra a, a long tradition of it. I go to India a lot. I take people on tours. We meet with gurus and swamis in ashrams. They all have service projects. They're feeding the poor. They're, you know, cleaning up the, the river. They're doing something outside of the uh, needs of the, you know, individual ego. So service and activism and engagement is also part of every spiritual tradition. And there are, as you said, unfortunately, there are people who will use spirituality as an excuse to justify indifference or withdrawal. And, and I have to you know, say that there are times when in a, any individual's life when withdrawing and you know, going on retreat or just you know, shutting off the, the news for a month or whatever is, is necessary for their own self-preservation. It, and as a way of cultivating the inner life. But very few of us are hermits. Very few of us are reclusives, and we're all affected by the world. And 
we may as well make a contribution. It's, it's the height of narcissism to think you can be above it all because it's going to catch you. You know, one, one spiritual teacher I, uh, I quoted in the book, the uh, current uh, guru, uh, contemporary guru, people call Amma. Uh, <laughs> she said, if you're living on the high story of a, a building or on, you're on the roof, and the ground floor is on fire, you're not going to be affected by it. But you better pay attention, and you better try to do something about it because it's going to reach you soon enough. And that, that's, you know, that's how I feel about people who sort of pull away from the world and say they're above it and they disconnect. Sooner or later, it's going to help. It's going to affect you. Somebody you know is going to get COVID. Somebody, you know, it's... It, it's going to do something that affects, you know, the air you breathe and the water you drink or the, the industry you make your living at. It, it, we're all affected. We're all connected to this. And so people and, – and I have to give Andrew and, and a few other people credit for uh, taking this on early in the game when a lot of the people in the spiritual community were disengaged and uh, – Acting as if um, nothing, you know, the worldly stuff was uh, just the realm of illusion and Maya and, and, and nothing to be concerned about. Um, uh, so I, I'm encouraging, like Andrew is, um, sacred activism to the degree that's appropriate for every individual. We all have something to contribute. Well, I think that's really well said and an important point. We'll have more in a minute. My guest is Phil Goldberg. His latest book is Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times. And we'll be right back. You're listening to KPFK. Did you know Intervision is moving to a new time slot? Hey, it's Nita Valens, and I'm happy to announce that starting Friday, January 8th, InterVision will be on Fridays at 1 p.m. So check us out for the latest in psychology, spirituality, and inspiring stories right here on KPFK. This is the Ageless Wisdom on KPFK, and uh, my guest, Phil Goldberg, is the author of a number of books, most recently, a really appropriate and timely book called Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times. And it's really based on the idea that in addition to all the other benefits that go with the spiritual practice, there is feeling sane, feeling connected. Phil, you tell a story in the preface about a cartoon that, yes. that you saw and how the meaning of the cartoon continued to unfold yeah. on two or three different levels. And why don't you <laughs> talk briefly about yeah, that? Yeah, it was one of the impetuses of, for the book. Um, well, in, er, in early 2019, right, you know, in the heart of the, the Trump era, I, I met a lot of people and, you know, who were having very di- a lot of difficulty dealing with life at that time. They were feeling angry. Uh, afraid, worried, you know, all this stuff. And it was difficult and, um, and often overwhelmed. And that was one of the reasons I thought, you know, people need help now. And, and a lot of people were, um, 
neglecting people who had spiritual practices were neglecting them. People who didn't have spiritual practices were thought it would, you know, be a waste of time or a luxury they didn't couldn't afford. And so I decided to write a book to sit, you know, help people out. And then I came across this cartoon that's that um, sort of summed up the feeling. It was emailed to me, but I was familiar with the cartoon. This is David Cypress who does a lot of work on the New Yorker magazine and that I think is brilliant. And it's just two people walking in the streets of New York, and one says to the other, my desire to be well-informed is currently at odds with my desire to remain sane. And I thought, yes, that sums it up. We're, you know, we want to be well-informed citizens, so we're tuned into the news all the time, and it's making us crazy. And so, you know, you want to pull away just to maintain your sanity, but if you pull away too much, then you're not informed and you feel irresponsible. So it captured the, a, a big part of the moment. Well, the, then when I investigated the cartoon so I could properly credit it, I found out that it was first, he had first conceived it and published it in the 90s during the Clinton era. And it would show up. Every time the world got a little nuts and, you know, it w- would go viral. And that taught me something. It, it was like, oh, yes, these times we're living in, they're not the only crazy times. Things can be crazy at any moment. And then, as we, of course, uh, talked about earlier, it got even crazier than it was in, you know, 19, in uh, 2019. So that dilemma that he captured in there of wanting to stay sane but also wanting to be a well-informed responsible citizen you know we get caught up in that i meet people all the time who say i just had to turn off the television i just couldn't take it anymore i had to tune out i can't read another article i can't watch another newscast and that's a legitimate thing i mean one of the spiritual practices i talk about in the book is taking a, a, a mini retreat, getting away from it, tuning out from time to time. You'll catch up. You can come back in after you restore your, 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 you know, sanity and your inner stability. Get away, go listen to music, meditate, take a walk in the woods, you know, watch some stupid comedy, hang out with your kids. You don't have to be tuned in all the time. And that in itself, is a spiritual practice just to have a repertoire, an inventory of things you can do that nurture your soul, that heal and restore. And then come back, say, what, you know, what did I miss? I took a, I, I took a, a one day sabbatical from the news. What did I miss? You can always catch up, but we feel this compulsion. Uh, to, to, to stay informed and it can, it can really be a setback. It could, it could, you know, overwhelm us. So we have to have some balance in our lives. And, and that's the kind of thing I, I hope uh, to help people uh, achieve uh, through the book. Well, you know, it's sort of akin to the morbid curiosity of watching the train wreck or, slowing down when you pass the car accident you you don't want to see but 
you at the same time there's part of you that feels you must yeah and uh, the insanity of the last four years i think it's taken three of those four years to realize that it's not been political it only appeared to be about politics because it was emanating from federal government and the white house and Congress and the dramatic shift to the Republican Party, but that it's really not political. It's not about policy anyway. So much of what is frightening is uh, the lack of decency. Yes. And it also, to me, shed light on um, something in the collective consciousness. A lot of people put Trump in in office and support the kind of things that went on and voted for it again and believe in crazy conspiracy theories. And, and, And that element of the collective consciousness was probably there before the rage, the fear, the tribalism, it was all there, and it gave rise to the Trump presidency. Um, and we'd be foolish to just think, that, you know, when when Trump's out of power, that all that goes away. No, it gave rise to it in the first place. So we have to attend to that. We have to heal that, you know, and, and, and that consciousness and uh, replace it with some, you know, higher level of, wisdom and and kindness and decency and truth (laughs) and evidence and fact-based thinking Um, because otherwise it'll happen again. And maybe as as somebody said the other day, maybe somebody with uh, Trumpian tendencies, but more competence uh, will rise and, and, you know, more damage can be done. So one of the things I hope, you know, I don't, I'm not necessarily, a, I don't want to sound Pollyannish, but there are often silver linings and things. And, but I, you know, I don't think it's inevitable. We have to work at it. But one of the possible uh, things that come out of this era is I think people might be more uh, inclined to be uh, politically engaged. It's not just spiritual people who get disconnected and otherworldly. It's also materialistic people, people too busy trying to, you know, make money, people too busy seeking, you know, uh, the pleasures. You know, in the 60s, it wasn't just spirituality that people turned to. It was also sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And 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 there's a lot of people who, thought, you know, were disconnected from politics and current events for, you know, a whole variety of reasons. Maybe they realize now that these things affect their lives and the lives of their families and that voting is good and paying attention is good and and being involved in the community is good because we are all connected. So I hope some of that uh, comes out, uh, those lessons were learned uh, during this era. I hear from people who are more better in touch with young people than I am that that's a, a distinct possibility. 
Well, consciousness is much more than intelligence. And I think to end on a positive note and to acknowledge the silver lining here, meditation grows your brain, literally. (laughs) It adds gray matter and white matter to the brain. Secondly, it has been proven empirically to reduce the size of the amygdala which is where our fear comes from, the reactionary right has in many cases oversized amygdalas. They are hypersensitive to fear. And so if meditation grows the gray matter, especially the frontal lobes and the neocortex of higher thinking, critical thinking, shrinks the animal lizard brain, the amygdala, and creates an awareness of our connection to each other. You know, the, uh, what was that, the butterfly effect that we used to talk about? Yeah. How not only does your behavior ripple out, but even your awareness, your intention ripples out. Yes. That beyond educating those who may not be reading and may benefit from more education, raising their consciousness by promoting non-dogmatic, non-religious approaches to mindfulness and self-awareness can raise consciousness and change people. There's no question. You know, when I took up these practices more than 50 years ago now, to give away my age, the studies on meditation were just beginning. In fact, I was a subject in one of the earliest studies that got a lot of attention. I remember, you know, meditating with a blood pressure cuff and EEG wires coming out of my head in a, in a cubicle at Harvard Medical School. And By now, there's hundreds and hundreds of these studies. So, you know, I talk about spiritual practice, but secular people, people who don't think of themselves as spiritual, can avail themselves of these because they are well-researched and well-validated, documented evidence that these things can be understood in in a secular context. And... That there's no there's no incompatibility there. Evidence is evidence, and and you're right. I don't know about the um, specifics of the brain research you refer to, but I do know there's been a lot of studies of neurophysiology of meditation and mindfulness practices and of prayer. All these practices that take people within, and it changes the brain. There's no question. The brain becomes more coherent. Certain areas of the brain become, you know, more active and others less so. Uh, Anybody can look this stuff up. It's definitely there. Neuroplasticity is another term for the way in which uh, altered states, deep relaxation, focused meditation can rewire the brain. Yes. Uh, People become more flexible, more creative. Uh, I saw that in my own life. I saw it in in many, many other people's lives. 
there's a certain resilience too that comes about. And I think that's similar to neuroplasticity. Tell us how people can find out uh, more about your podcast, Spirit Matters. Uh, it's spiritmatterstalk.com, or if you want to subscribe on your, you know, on your phone, the usual podcast uh, sources, iTunes and the others, um, you'll get it, Spirit Matters or Spirit Matters Talk. Um, we have now an archive of probably 250 interviews, including you, um, and it's all free. That's, you know, our service to the world. Uh, my website is uh, philipgoldberg.com. So most of the stuff I, I'm doing when I remember to update it <laughs> is up there and, you know, links to things. If anybody's interested, we had to suspend my uh, periodic uh, tours to India because of the pandemic, but we're hoping things will open up by early 2022 and we'll do another India tour then. That'll be announced on my website as well. So I, I would uh, invite people to uh, go to the website. You can email me from there. You can get my newsletters. I love to hear from people. Thanks for letting me uh, plug myself. Oh, of course. So as an author, you're known as Phil, but your website is Philip. No, no, my my uh, writer name on my books is Philip. I just oh, okay. in in conversation, you know. Okay. I know you, Phil. <laughs> yeah, most most people do. Okay, and that my point is that Philip is spelled with one L rather one than one L. Yes. Okay. So the website is Philip with one L, philipgoldberg dot com. Yeah. All right, sir. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Michael. Your book and your other books, your other titles as well. And thanks for your service. And let's do it again down the calendar page, uh, especially once we get on the other side of uh, the crazy time. So, Yes. Welcome back to the airwaves in L.A. Good luck with the, the new show. And thanks for having me on. Thanks. Philip Goldberg, my guest, and uh, this is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. You can find me at michaelbenner.com. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From KPFK Los Angeles, this is the Ageless Wisdom. So long. Hi, this is Michael Benner, and I want to thank you for recognizing KPFK as one of the few channels for progressive news in Southern California. There's obviously no shortage of hate radio out there. They're trying to frighten you, and they have plenty of followers. Over 75 million people voted for Donald Trump, so we have to stand strong. Be resolute in our beliefs and support each other. If you're not a member of KPFK, now is the time to renew or become one. Join the resistance. We're the voice, but you are the power behind us. Go to kpfk.org and become a KPFK supporter with your donation. Do it now. We're 90.7 KPFK and kpfk.org. Resistance Radio. Powered by the people.